Uh, okay. I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles uh, to Psalm 23. Uh, am I preaching a farewell sermon? Somebody asked me that. Uh, it feels a little extreme to me to say with Paul uh, in uh, Acts 20, what he says in his farewell sermon, which is, I have gone about preaching, you to, preaching to you the kingdom of God, and now you will never see my face again. Uh, I trust you will see my face again. Uh, and this is the end of a season, but it's not the end of relationships that have been forged over many years. And I think we can trust the Lord for how that will work itself out uh, in the future. Uh, I also don't know how to preach a farewell sermon. That's an upside uh, of pastoring one loving church family for your entire ministry. Uh, I don't know how to preach a farewell sermon. I just know how to preach sermons. And uh, my preaching has always been shaped by this idea of uh, get out of the way and let people encounter God in the text. Uh, and so that's what I intend to do this morning. And we're going to look at Psalm 23 uh, and trust that in it, God is going to speak to some things that we need to hear. So let me read Psalm 23 for us this morning. Psalm 23, a psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The grass withers, the flower fades the word of God endures forever. Uh, so here's the metaphor. The Lord is my shepherd. And we could probably spend all day talking about where to put the emphasis here. Uh, is it the Lord is my shepherd? Uh, who is my shepherd? My shepherd is the almighty creator who redeemed Israel out of Egypt and revealed himself in Jesus Christ. Uh, or is it the Lord is my shepherd? Uh, what is the Lord for me? Not just a ruler or a judge or a lawgiver telling me what to do. Uh, he is a shepherd who leads and cares and protects. Uh, or, or is it the Lord is my shepherd? Uh, what is the shepherd's relationship to me as an individual? He's not just our shepherd, the shepherd of our flock which is certainly true. Uh, he's my shepherd who, who cares for me personally, who knows me by name. And I think all of these are legitimate inferences from, uh, from the text. Uh, the Lord is the shepherd of his people. Uh, a lot of verses describe God as the shepherd of Israel uh, or refer to us as the sheep of his pasture. Uh, Jesus Christ is called the good shepherd in John 10, 
the chief shepherd in 1 Peter 5, and the great shepherd of the sheep, Hebrews 13. Uh, So the Lord is the shepherd of his people. Uh, Every pastor uh, is an under-shepherd of the divine shepherd. So you might know our English word pastor uh, traces back to a French and Latin word that means shepherd. Uh, And so we could say, uh, the Lord is my pastor. Uh, Jesus Christ is the true pastor uh, of every church. I'm a little embarrassed to tell you how long it took me to really learn that lesson. Uh, Jesus Christ is the one who does the work of ministry. Uh, He is the only one who can always be with the sheep. Uh, He is the only one who can actually impart grace or change someone's heart. Uh, Ministry does not happen when the pastor shows up. Before the pastor shows up, Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, is already present, actively ministering to his people. Uh, The pastor's job is to help you see what Jesus is already doing. Uh, But the Lord is the great pastor and shepherd uh, of the flock. Uh, God has given us a a great privilege, a great relationship uh, as pastor and flock for for many, many years. Uh, I just think it's important to say God is just as committed uh, as he has ever been to being our shepherd. Uh, even if he will do that through another under-shepherd. But what does it mean that the Lord is my shepherd? What does that actually mean? I think the next phrase tells us, uh, I shall not want uh, in the sense of I shall not lack or I shall not be in need. So if the Lord is your shepherd, that means you're provided for. Uh, The Lord provides for what you need. Uh, and that's not a Pollyannish promise as if everything will always go well. It's obviously not true in every sense that we would like it to be true that I will not lack. Uh, later in this psalm, we'll read about the presence of enemies. Uh, and the psalms elsewhere show that life is full of hardships uh, and difficulties and sadnesses uh, and trials should never surprise us as if they are somehow abnormal. Uh, The psalmist knew that, but he could still say, I shall not lack. I think the point here is uh, that God determines what we really need in any season. Uh, What I think I need and what God thinks I need are not always the same. This is the difference between real faith Uh, and transactional faith, where we follow God so long as he holds up his end of the bargain, you know, quote, unquote. Uh, I've said before, there is no bargain. When you come to Jesus Christ, uh, you take up your cross and you follow him. Uh, But we've seen over the years, I think we've all seen uh, this kind of transactional faith where we follow God so long as he holds up his end of the bargain. Uh, Instead, in every hardship, I think we can say, because God is my shepherd, I am not lacking anything truly needful. Uh, God has his own designs. He knows what we need personally. He knows what we need as a church. 
Psalm 23, it's like it's training us to attune our hearts to what God thinks we need and not what we think we need. Uh, Every time we say the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, That's like a little bit of training to say, God, you're the one who knows uh, what I really need in life. Uh, Verses two and three of the psalm give us images of God's provision, you know, lying down in green pastures near quiet waters. I can lie down. I can get up and drink. His provision is life-giving, life-renewing. It renews my soul. It restores my soul. Uh, Soul here is not a contrast to the body as if God cares about the immaterial stuff, but not the material stuff. I think soul here just means the whole person. We, We would say God provides us wholeness. Uh, And his provision is also uh, in verse three, that he leads us in paths of righteousness, Uh, which could mean he leads us in paths of doing righteousness, living righteously. Uh, But I think it probably means that he leads us in right paths. Uh, we, We would say it like this, when you follow God, you are always going the right way. You are always headed in the right direction. Uh, The paths that he leads us on are always better than the ones we would map out for ourselves. Uh, And you know, there are times in life where we have to make hard decisions and we have to make uh, kind of bold moves to follow the Lord. And we should have this confidence in those times. God always leads us in the right ways. Uh, If the Lord is my shepherd, I am in good hands. If he is my traveling companion, I am on the right path. Uh, We should be saying the right path is where he is and where we are holding on to him. So the question is never, uh, what does the path look like and do I like it and does it match what I want? The question is, who is he? Uh, What is his character? Uh, Because he's always on the right path. So if I'm with him, I'm going in the right direction too. Uh, And verse three says that these paths are, these right paths are for his name's sake. Uh, When God leads us, he's doing something for his reputation and for his honor. Uh, This is one of the ways you know you're on the right path. If God's honor is being magnified in your life, if God is teaching you to trust him more and trust yourself less, that's the right path. That is the right direction. So life doesn't revolve around us. Our compass should not be what works for me. Our compass should be, uh, is this bringing glory to God's name? Uh, And sometimes that means more change or more trials or more uncertainty than we would like or that we would want for ourselves. That's when the proven character of God is something we can run to. Uh, And we can say, God, you're doing something for your name's sake. I I don't like the change. I don't like the uncertainty. I don't like trials. Uh, But but my compass uh, is that your name should be great. Uh, And so when you're doing something for your name, uh, I'm going to follow you on that path. Uh, God always leads in the right direction, Uh, even if that means hardship rather than pleasant pastures 
and still waters. Uh, and that's what verse four shows us. Uh, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, uh, you can be going in the right way. You can be on right paths and still wind up in death valley. Uh, so uh, the shadow, the valley of the shadow of death here, uh, a valley is a difficult place. Uh, a shadow is a place of darkness. Uh, and a shadow of death is a place that extinguishes life. Uh, so I think this phrase, the valley of the shadow of death, it's not only talking about physical death. Uh, I think it's talking about any place of darkness and difficulty of which uh, death is the ultimate example. Uh, and I just want us to note how quickly uh, you move in Psalm 23 from green pastures and quiet waters to the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, darkness and death are always one verse, or we would say one step away, one phone call with bad news, uh, one scan or visit to the doctor's office, uh, one second of looking down at your phone while you're driving, uh, and you have gone from the green pastures to the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, but even when we walk through the darkest places, God is still leading us. So the psalmist says, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Uh, and I hope you don't miss that little uh, shift in the psalm. What we expect it to say is, um, I will fear no evil for he is with me, right? The whole psalm up till now has been in the third, you know, talking about God in the third person. But now the psalmist is talking directly to God. It's a way of emphasizing just how near God is. We can always talk to him, uh, even in the darkest places where we can't see him. We can still talk to him. Uh, so in the valley of the shadow of death, uh, I will fear no evil. Uh, and that word evil here is not just kind of a moral evil. It's really just I will fear no bad thing. Uh, are we fearing some bad things going into the future? Like with all that it portends, uh, COVID, pastoral transitions, national upheavals. Uh, you know, let's say this. I will fear no bad thing because the Lord, who is the shepherd, is with me. I will fear no bad thing. The Lord who makes sure I do not lack is with me. I will fear no bad thing. The Lord who gives me rest and refreshment is with me. I will fear no bad thing. The Lord who always leads me in the right direction is with me. The Lord, uh, not my circumstances, not my own wisdom, not other people, the Lord is my confidence. He will keep shepherding his people. Uh, he will keep shepherding his flock. He will comfort us with his rod of protection and his staff of, of guidance. Uh, go back to verse one again. What does it mean? I shall not lack. Uh, it means the Lord is with me uh, and he is leading me uh, and he is comforting me in every situation. Uh, when you read verses two through four together, you see that God, our shepherd, 
accompanies us both in the green pastures by the quiet waters and in the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, God leads us into refreshing places, and God also leads us into hard places. Uh, And what makes God a good shepherd is not that he leads us into one and helps us avoid the other. This is This is the kind of, again, transactional religion that a lot of people seem to have. Oh, God is good if he leads me to good places and helps me avoid bad places. What makes God a good shepherd is that he is with us wherever in his wisdom he chooses to lead us. He knows what we need, and what we need is primarily his presence. In the second half of the psalm, the imagery changes, and suddenly God is now spreading or preparing a table. Uh, And I don't think we should imagine here like God is setting up this big wooden dining room table, and there's plates and cups and, you know, three sets of silverware for Christmas dinner or, or whatever. I think we're supposed to see God is spreading a cloth on the ground with all the elements of a meal. You see, he's setting up a way station on the journey. Uh, The shepherd is now the host. Uh, He knows that on this journey, we have to take time to eat and be nourished. We need a meal. We need sustenance to keep going. And so wherever we are, by the green pastures or in Death Valley, he, he uh, he sets out a cloth on the ground with the elements of a meal because he wants to he wants to supply us he wants to sustain us that's part of his provision uh, and what's interesting is that this table that God is preparing is uh, the psalmist says in the presence of my enemies and you might think well what are enemies doing at this meal that the Lord is preparing Uh, And I think we could probably understand this in two different ways. And one way, and I I think this is the main way, but one way is that God prepares a meal in the presence of our enemies because our enemies are always at hand. Uh, In other words, a meal in the presence of our enemies says something about the world that we live in. It is always full of enemies. And so if God doesn't set for us a table in the midst of our enemies, we will never sit at a table with him and sup with him in this life. Uh, And in the Psalms, enemies are not just bad people. Enemies can be sickness, uh, national unrest, disasters, relational distress or loss, sadnesses. Uh, And in this Psalm, The enemies are never defined or specified. And I I really appreciated this comment by Richard Briggs. He says, the world is full of enemies in a general sense, and we need not and perhaps should not exert ourselves in defining or identifying them. Rather, we should accept this picture of the world and sit and eat at the table prepared for us by our Lord, the shepherd. Uh, In other words, here's what I think he's saying. In other words, if you are focusing on the enemies in verse five, you have got the wrong focus. The focus is on the host. 
The focus is on his table. The focus is on his gracious provision. Uh, He spreads the feast. He anoints my head with oil. He overfills my cup. Uh, Here's just the rest of this Briggs quote. What might 21st century life learn from letting the reality of enemies be left as a passing mention? The tone of public and private life would be very different indeed. Uh, I have shared uh, probably on many Sundays, maybe too many Sundays, uh, my disappointment uh, about how too many Christians in this cultural moment are more enamored with focusing on enemies than they are on the Lord's gracious provision. Uh, Not just focusing on enemies, uh, even sometimes finding and creating enemies with every new COVID restriction, political disappointment, or revelation, uh, you know, of some cultural or national sin. Uh, I think Psalm 23 offers us a gentle correction. When God spreads a table in the presence of your enemies, you are overwhelmed, not by enemies, but by his provision. Uh, There is a joyful celebration Even when you are surrounded by enemies and difficulties, there is joy even when you are in the valley of the shadow of death, because the presence of God means the provision of God. Uh, I think in the background here is maybe Israel's own wilderness experience. Psalm 78 says, can God spread a table in the wilderness? Uh, The answer is yes. Uh, He brings water from a rock. He sends manna from heaven. Uh, You know, this is really my view of the church. We are weary travelers, refreshed together at a table in the wilderness, surrounded by enemies. Uh, That's the church. Uh, You know, people want many things from the church. Uh, A lot of those things would be really nice to have. But one often gets the sense that if the church had everything people wanted it to, we would not be weary travelers at all. The church would have met every social, relational, parental, spiritual need so that we are never in shadowy valleys or the presence of enemies. Uh, That's heaven. That is not this life. That is not the church. Uh, The church is where weary travelers find a place at the table to know they belong, uh, to know the Lord will provide for them on the journey, uh, and to find some fellow travelers on the way. Uh, I think some of our sweetest moments uh, as a church uh, have been those moments where we have had the deepest sense of being nourished uh, in the wilderness, Uh, you know, in places of difficulty, surrounded by difficulty, uh, but with Jesus uh, at the center uh, and being together. Uh, There's another way of understanding that phrase, in the presence of my enemies. Uh, I don't think it contradicts anything I just said, but our whole life is a difficult journey where God the shepherd is leading us into the fullness of his presence. And when we pass through the valley of the shadow of death, there is a banquet waiting for us. Uh, And at that table, we will see every enemy vanquished, including death itself. Isaiah 25 
talks about the Lord preparing a feast of rich food and aged wine when God swallows up death forever. That's a hope uh, that is there for us. I think that's certainly true. I think the focus is, um, you know, maybe more on the first. We're on a journey. That journey includes quiet waters and dark valleys. Uh, In the presence of many enemies, we are nourished by rest and food and drink. uh, And we are invited to look forward to dwelling in the Lord's house all of our days. Uh, We're invited to trust God's character. Uh, So much of this. Uh, so much of of the life of faith comes down to believing certain things about the character of God. Uh, and so let me just draw this to a close uh, with, with verse 6, which is really about the character of God. Uh, and in verse 6, we read, Surely uh, goodness and mercy, uh, two fundamental attributes of God, Uh, Remember the end of Exodus 33, God said, I will make my goodness pass before you uh, and proclaim the name of the Lord. I will be gracious to whom I'm gracious and merciful to whom I am merciful. Uh, So his goodness is his beautiful kindness towards us. His mercy is his loving commitment to us. Uh, And verse six says uh, that his goodness and mercy, uh, they don't follow us all the days of our life. That's the common translation. Uh, I think they pursue us all the days of our life. That, I think, is a better sense uh, of the Hebrew verb there. Uh, They chase us down. Uh, God's goodness and his mercy hound us until they overtake us. Uh, In other words, in life, it's, it's not enemies or trials or troubles that pursue us every day. It's goodness and it's mercy. Uh, Wake up every day and say, God's goodness and his mercy are in pursuit of me today. Uh, Maybe I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, but here's my provision. I am pursued and overtaken by divine goodness and divine mercy. Uh, maybe are not. Maybe things are not the way I would like them to be or expected them to be. God is with me. God is pursuing me, uh, not because I always stick with Him and pursue Him, but because He sticks with me and He pursues me. Uh, if you want to know how much God's goodness and mercy pursue you, all you have to do is look to the cross of Christ. How far? will the good shepherd go in pursuit of his sheep. He will pursue us all the way to the painful, shameful death of the cross. The good shepherd comes in our own nature. He comes to be with us. He comes to lay down his life for his sheep. Nowhere is the personal care of the shepherd seen more clearly than in the loving sacrifice of the son. He takes our place. He takes our guilt. He takes our sin. He takes our stain. He does it to restore us, to make us whole, to put us in right paths, to spread a table in our midst so we don't have to fear dangers or death. This is a shepherd who can be trusted. Uh, And at the end of the psalm, 
the enemies, the difficulties of the journey, they, they haven't gone away. The enemies may still be there. We may still be in the valley of the shadow of death. The psalmist vision is captured by something else. It's captured by dwelling in the house of the Lord. Dwelling with a God who can be trusted even in the midst of difficulty. Uh, That has been our vision together uh, at Grace for 23 years. Uh, Let's let that continue to be our vision. Let's let our vision continue to be captured uh, by God's pursuit of us in his goodness and his mercy uh, this morning and in all the days ahead. Let's pray together.